Hello and welcome to this extraordinarily special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. It's extraordinary because we are joined once again by Jeremy Fisk, who made it out to the theaters. I mean, I think you deserve a round of applause, which I'll insert digitally. Um, but good job, like a Jeremy. Roaring applause. Roaring applause. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All yes. our fans clapping Thank in you. unison for us. And but. what's what's more amazing is that your wife also went with you, right? Baby Correct. stayed home. Yes. Baby stayed so home by herself. This good week for her. was the first time the baby had to tend to herself. <laughs> <laughs> Twice, actually. Jesus. Um, to this week, we are going to talk about Sam Mendes' Golden Globe winning film. 1917. Uh, then we're going to move on to a discussion of the Oscar nominations, which came out um, earlier this week. Actually, yesterday? It was yesterday, actually. Um, you know, not that anyone Who gives, gives a, shit. a shit, but uh, it, you know, it's an award show. We have the most important award show, so we, you know, we feel kind of obligated to talk about it. In your own time, gentlemen. Must be something big if the channel's here. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. Uh, we, we were talking about who's going to ask this question because Lee pulled an audible and really wanted to ask something about uh, our next week's podcast, which is Little Women, which was confusing because we promised Little Women this week, but we switched it up. Um, you guys were uh, both saying this is sort of my kind of movie, so I should be the one to ask the question. And you're probably, you know, I think you guys are right. It's a war movie. I like war movies a little bit more than you guys do. But I also think it's a movie that is more visually technically inclined than um, perhaps storytelling as we know this film is meant to look like it's all essentially two shots um, uh, when in fact it's not it's a it's a combination of, of different shots but um, it's meant to look like it's one sort of fluid story um, and uh, so I'm, I'm wondering you know in, in your guys's world where story and structure, and even a screenplay and maybe dialogue are more important. Um, how do you guys go into a film like this where you know the t- you know technique and modality of the storytelling is going to be probably not only like occupy the m- most of your attention, but also you know be in the context of the podcast what we talk about you know probably the most here. How do you approach viewing a movie like this? Are you excited? Are you, or are you sort of reticent of, of a film that's sort of maybe, for lack of a better term, has a gimmick? Um, well, I have kind of two parts of that answer. Uh, the first part being like knowing it's the, who the cinematographer is, knowing it's Roger Deakins, knowing what a, he's done in the past and how much I've loved him. It's not. It, it, it's not something where I go, oh, it's this this movie is more about the technical prowess because I, I'm, I'm actually curious to see how they pull this off. Right. And then the other part of it is I, 
I came into it a little bit worried that it would distract me as well. And I did find it because once you're aware and if you go into the movie knowing this is supposed to look like one continuous shot, which is just astounding to think about, um, especially if you know anything about filmmaking and sort of the detail and the the precision that needs to go into this, you, you're, you're so aware, you're like, is this going to take away from the movie? Am I just going to be watching, oh, wow, the camera's still going, the camera's still going. And to a certain extent, and I could almost tell you exactly till when, I did find it distracting. Um, it was up until they got what their mission was, which is very early in the movie. I mean, this is, what, five minutes, eight minutes into the movie. I was super aware of the camera movement. Once they, once they had the mission, that sort of faded away. It kept coming, it sort of kept pulsing into consciousness here and there, and I, in, in, in a good way where I was like sort of, oh, oh yeah, holy shit, we're still with this, we're still with this. But I was, I was um, intrigued enough by this story and about this mission that that sort of faded into the background and just became part of this this film and part of what I enjoyed as a whole for the film and how it all worked together. Um, I was very interested in what this movie was going to be about. I mean, you get an idea from the trailer. Uh, you have your two main characters, Lance Corporal's Blake and Schofield, uh, played by um, Tommen and George McKay. Um, Tommen from Game of Thrones. and I, But I was curious to see you know, what it was beyond their mission to go deliver this message. Because I, you know, I really was comfortable with this this uh, undertaking in Roger Deakins' hands. I mean, I was curious for sure to see how they could accomplish, uh, you know, a mock-up one take with a war movie. We've seen really long takes. We've done our top five takes. There's been movies like Rope and Birdman that have done this, uh, type of thing before but never uh, with a movie to this scale so I was curious to see how it would be done but I had full confidence in Deacon's abilities to do this um, and I guess you know I had confidence in Sam Mendes I mean I don't know I think we'll get get more into his direction and him as a director later in this podcast but I feel like I was confident in him to do this so I was mostly curious kind of on the point of your question Chapin to see what this movie was about what this what this was beyond the technical aspects of this movie and whether or not you know i would connect to it um so but so, basically did, did were you did you ever feel hyper aware of the well, yes, the style yes and no. at, and at least at the beginning yes and no and and you made a great point i mean when you when you know this is going to happen when you know it's this you know it's been advertised as such. You're going to pay attention to it. You know, I always talk about when you get some time, you get some really long takes in movies, these long uh, single shots. You can oftentimes recognize when it's not only done well, but done well within the context of the movie, when you have to rewind to see when it started because you didn't really notice. It just seamlessly fits. And when this movie opens, of course, I'm watching the one continuous take. I'm trying to see how they're going to get from, you know, this bunker where they start the movie to this battlefield that we see later in the trailer, you know, all these little things that we saw pieced together in the trailer, which, which had a number of cuts in it. 
how that was going to be done. So I was aware of it in that sense, but it wasn't distracting me really. Um, but for me, it I, wasn't like, how are they going to get from point A to point B? It was, it was, will this, is the camera going to be able to show us what it needs to show us to right, connect with these characters? That you can't do. Yeah, you, you can't know, do any coverage. Exactly. So how is this going to do do that? And that's the thing that... And the camera moves have to be motivated. And the, yeah, there's exactly. all these little things. It's beyond... Yeah, you're right. It's beyond just moving the camera across no man's mm-hmm. land and across you know the German lines and everything like that uh, with our characters. Like Those things have been done before in long, continuous takes. You know They just have to fill in the gaps to get to the next scene. But... Um, yeah, but I mean, before I get too much into like how, what I thought of the movie as a whole and what I thought of all these elements, I mean, what I was looking for, Chapin, was what else this movie had to offer. And I was mm-hmm. excited to see that. I mean, I, I knew I would be, you know, impressed with the cinematography. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's more to talk about there. But I wanted to, I wanted to see what else Mendez did here. I... I I felt like Deakins was the, you know, very true to his title, the director of cinematography here, the director of photography. And I wanted to see what Sam Mendes, the director of this movie as a whole, had to offer. Okay. Well, that's, those are good answers. Um, You went a little farther than I expected, but that's okay. Um, What I, I guess another question I have before we do get into details is, when you guys, and maybe this should have been my opening question, but when you guys go into something like this, when you know that a film has this sort of um, technical, I think a gimmick is kind of a pejorative word. I don't mean it I to don't, be. Yeah, I don't want to call yeah. this a gimmick in the least bit. Um, but, you know, it's got some kind of hook. Uh, are you worried that it will, and I don't think you could answer if it does, in fact, get in the way in this film. We'll talk about that. But are you worried that, like, those type of things can can impede a st- storytelling? Um, you know, they did something similar on, on um, Birdman, a film that we kind of missed um, on the, on the, on the um, film, on the podcast, but that I'm sure we've all seen. And, you know, they, they, there, there are elements of this in The Revenant. Um, so it's, it's something we've seen before. But you know, does that does that get in the way of things? I mean, I think he was. I, I mean, he uh, Mendez made a very clear effort it. with this movie. It can absolutely it can. I th- and I think, but I think Mendez made a clear effort to m- make sure that it, the story he was telling and the way that he told it lined up. I mean, I, I'd like to think that if what he was doing with this story didn't make sense as one continuous shot, then he would have cut. And he would have shot it more traditionally, but he clearly mm. had a reason and a thought process behind feeling like this needed to be all one continuous shot because it's cinematic. Like there is something. Yeah, it? Got to be more than that. But there it is, is something. There is something. There is a wow factor to it. There is like there's a wow factor, but it's actually like the opposite of like classic cinema. I mean, we're supposed to have coverage. When he look out, there's a couple scenes. He looks out uh, out of the bunker through the little binoculars thing and we don't see what he's looking at um he's holding a picture he's holding a note we're supposed to see what they're we're used to seeing what they're looking at and none of that stuff is there so he has to tell the tell the story in a different way and that's you know creative uh but it's not typical cinema Okay, so no, it isn't. But there is something about seeing this in the theater. I don't know what the word is if it's not cinematic. There's something about seeing this in the 
theater, knowing the effort that went into it, knowing the journey of these characters and just watching it unfold that is special. So whatever you want to call that, um, Mm -hmm. I, I, I would like I wouldn't want to have not seen this in the theater, you know? Sure. Yeah, and I so, think it was the right choice to do this the way to shoot this how he did. Yeah. I don't know that it needed to be done that way. I think it was the right choice. I think it separated it from a lot of other movies that are probably really similar to this, Saving Private Ryan among them. Um, hmm. and so I think it was a good choice. Do you think it? Do you think it gave um a sense of space better? I mean, being able to walk those trenches. Apparently, they they dug two miles worth of trenches for this movie. Yeah, a mile. Yeah. Or whatever, um, like, do you think having that space and having well, sort of yeah that yes. like, do you think that added to like it added something can I, to well, it? Well, can I can I say something? Yeah. I I don't no. think that the cinematography in this movie was its biggest star. I think it was the set design, set decoration, and the choreography. It made the filming look simple. I mean, they had this so well set up. Those trenches were perfect. Like, I just think that they, they planned this movie so well that it didn't look hard to do what they did. I'm sure it was. <laughs> I'm sure it was, but that's that's a credit to them. That doesn't mean it was easy. That just means they did such a good job, you know, designing these sets to not only look authentic, but to move their camera through. And they did such a good job with the choreography of having these actors move where they needed to move so that we could see their faces when we needed to see their faces. If anything, that was the thing I was more hyper-aware of at times than the cinematography was like just seeing when they're walking switch places with each other because you know at this point they have to move the camera so that you can you know, see one of them instead of the other and we can't cut. But I thought that stuff was was so impressive. And... That's the little things that have to be done anytime you do a long single shot like this. But to do it for a whole movie, it had to be done flawlessly. Yeah, I, I think, I, I don't know if it was a star, but it was equal to the sure. cinematography. I, mean, on that. I think, you know. I, I say it's not the star because I want to emphasize the yeah. set decoration and set design because that's not going to get nearly the uh, credit that the cinematography was. I mean, this is a, a, a lock to win Best Cinematography at the Oscars, I'm sure. Um, again, something nobody really cares about. I don't know what the other set design nominees are, but I don't know that this will win that, and it should. If it was well, a fixed category, it would 100% be my number one. Let's talk a little bit about, I guess, what Chapin's initial question was alluding to more, because I know, obviously, we're, we're sort of focusing on the cinematography and the technical prowess of this movie, but what about the story? What about this mission? What about these characters? Was what like was the technical prowess able to serve that? In your opinion, uh, I don't think so. Interesting. Go ahead. Well, look, I I, I made this joke when we I think th- was this on this was on my one of my um, most anticipated lists. It was on uh, it was on the one of the lists. I don't know who had it, but. Um, but I, I think I, when we talked about it, I said I feel like um, Mendez is kind of always sort of trying to catch up to Christopher Nolan. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I think you there's an interpretation of this one-take um, decision style that, that works with um, 
Nolan's philosophy in making Dunkirk and that you are sort of thrust into this situation, there's an immediacy to both those films, uh, or at least to Dunkirk, where you don't know anything. I mean, you don't know, you don't even know the names of those characters um, who you follow around, you know, the entire movie in, in Dunkirk. And, um, you know, you, you know, you know less about, you know, about the same about uh, these guys. Uh, you learn a little bit more about them because we're just with two guys. But I, again, I, I just, um, it, it was just, it, I, I think, I think that I, I really think you, and this goes kind of back to my question for you guys is like, I think that this style really hurt the, the structure and the, and the character development of the story. Um, I'm with you, Chapin. I mean, I, I left this movie or even during this movie, I was like, this is all seems pretty good, but I'm not connecting with it. Like I don't have any connection to these characters. I don't, I'm not rooting for them in the way that I feel like I'm supposed to be here. And I don't think it was from a lack of effort. I think Mendez puts a lot of scenes in this movie that tries to, you know, give you that emotional connection to these characters. I mean, whether it's, the scene with the uh, woman with the baby. Um, there's another really pivotal scene between the two actors uh, after a plane crash. And I think there's moments in this movie where he tries to make sure that his character development and his audience's connection to those characters and, and their mission isn't lost. But I just don't think I totally connected to it. And I feel like as a, with a, this movie as a whole, that impacted it negatively um, wow I, so, I disagree me, with you guys by the I way I don't think I I don't it just in by kind of reading Chapin's tone and his uh, his apparent lack of excitement to intro this movie and I don't want to make it sound like you're predictable Chapin but I, I get the impression I didn't dislike it quite as much as maybe you did but I did have an issue with connecting to these characters so for me, I think that scene you reference, and we won't like spoil it, but that scene after the plane crash, that did it for me. That connected me to these characters. And I think both of these actors, George McKay and Dean Charles Chapman, who most people know uh, from, from Game of Thrones. And as a side note, it is fun to watch these Game of Thrones actors in other things. And I'm thinking specifically of him in this and... Um, What's his name? Price in um, Two Popes. Oh, and, and and Richard Madden is in this, too. Yeah. Yes, I know, but so, I, that, that's not who I'm referencing. I, I thought George McKay was bad. And, uh, not George McKay. I thought Dean Charles Dean Chapman Charles was, Chapman. was I bad. I thought they were both fine. Really? I don't think either, either was... They were good or bad. Yeah, I don't think either was amazing, but I thought they were good. And they. I, I think that one scene really... I mean, I totally fell for it. And then everything after that, I, it was just this uh, see. sweet... That's, yeah. Can we that can scene, we spoil that scene later? Can we spoil? Because I I have a comparison that I want to make. Okay. And sure. Or maybe we can spoil it now. Yeah, spoil know. it now. But I mean, right. okay. So yeah, like the. Well, go ahead, Lee. I'm sorry. Okay. So spoiler alert. Can we can we compare that scene to when Giovanni well, Ribisi dies in Saving Private Ryan? Well, you got to say what happens. You said spoiler alert that nothing happened. <laughs> right. No, don't worry about it. So he <laughs> he. <laughs> so he um. Dean Charles Chapman's um, Lance Corporal Blake, who's who is originally given the mission, or they're both given the mission. Because it's Blake his is, brother. His, his brother is the one that's there. So 
um, who you le- who you sort of led to believe about for the first half of this movie is your your main protagonist and George McKay's Lance Corporal Schofield is sort of along with him um, but uh, he's killed uh, Corporal Blake is killed and he sort of dies in Schofield's arms you know he, he it's sort of a slow painful death because he's been stabbed um, and I just was watching it and sort of have, it, it just felt like a very similar scene to the the Giovanni Rabisi's death in Saving Private Ryan to me, which yeah, except like was so 10, much more thousand times less impactful, right? And and I look, I'm not saying th- that's to that is more of a credit to Saving Private Ryan than it is a discredit to this movie because I don't think that that scene was done poorly, and I do think that that was an example of Mendez's effort to make sure that you're connecting to these characters, and there were a number of other scenes when he did that. I just don't think that he did it to the degree that it needed to be done to put this movie on the par. That of its technical prowess, they needed to be at least on par. I mean, if one, I don't, if, I, I agree that they're not on par, but I don't, I, I don't think that was done. You know, if you're comparing it to Saving Private Ryan, yeah, maybe it's not quite there, but it still worked. I mean, it all it did worked. work, and that's why I'm saying it's not a discredit to this movie as much as a credit to the other one. But I, I was scratching my head in this movie, and I'm saying, why am I not connecting to these characters? I don't have an answer. I was sort of hoping we could uncover it on this podcast because I've been thinking about it for nearly a week now and I think this the the effort was there like I said there were scenes in this movie that were deliberately in place to make sure that you were connecting to the characters but I didn't and it doesn't sound like Chapin did either well I thought George McKay who plays uh, Schofield I like Corporal Schofield yeah. I thought he was good I thought he was a great everyman to just sort of follow along on this journey and he had enough emotional impact to make that work. I mean, I like I get what you guys are saying and and weirdly one of my notes about this movie was like walking out of it I'm like this is this is fantastic. I enjoyed that experience so much. I really did. And then like a couple days later I'm like I felt like there was something empty and something missing and I I I don't know how to connect those two feelings like well, the actual you, experience of watching it and then the couple days later where I'm like I definitely feel a hollowness yeah, that's a really, to something about it it's a really nice it way is. to put it it is and when you walk out of a movie and say that was a great experience because this movie is an experience well I didn't say like I didn't say it's a great experience I'm like holy crap I really like that movie like I was debating okay, but that's different yeah so whether really- this is like my favorite movie of the year and then a couple days later I'm like you know it, I wish it had a bit more impact on the character front so I agree with you but I don't want to discredit my initial feelings and my initial thoughts of walking out of that theater and the experience I had in this movie because I think that is pretty impactful it's definitely impactful gravity is an amazing experience too I don't know that that is a well-rounded movie um so I think there's a difference when you're walking out of the theater and saying, I really enjoyed that experience versus I really enjoyed that movie. And I think that's what we're sort of, you know, grappling with here. Um, George McKay was fine. I thought he did a good job. I think the everyman description is good. I did, at the end of this movie, really sympathize with how tired he must have been. Sure. Yeah, I thought that seriously. was really well done. <laughs> I agree. And I thought that was excellent. And I was like, it, and when you can feel that, when you can feel the energy or the lack of energy that the character has by the end of a journey, then that's, you know, good filmmaking and good acting. So there's credit due here. And I, like I said, I think Chapin 
maybe dislikes this movie more than I do. I just happen to agree with his take on what was missing. Um, look, I, I look, I, I, I like the movie. I'm not. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It just didn't connect with me emotionally. And I, I and I'll. Yeah, me too. And I'll just say that I, I think. Um, I don't want to spoil too much for you, Jeremy, because we we did uncut gems um, last week, and and we asked people specifically not to listen to at least the spoiler part of it, and so I don't expect that you would have listened to it. But that that movie is an experience. It is a, um, it's going for something similar in the sense that you're on this ride with this with this character, and we, Lee and I discussed a little bit about how you you. Um, you feel the energy that he's feeling. There's a, there's a sense of immediacy, like I said, where you're involved in this moment at, at the, in some ways, um, detriment of character development or, you know, seeing, uh, gambling addiction from a more, another perspective or, or whatever there, there are things lost, but you're so wrapped up in that, in his experience, um, Adam Sandler's character, Howard's experience. Um, you forgive those other things, but with this film, I don't, I don't know. I, I just didn't feel that. I mean, part of the reason was I was looking for the seams of all the shots because I knew the way it was made. And I know that's not fair, but I feel like a great movie, like you said, is um, a great – even in those in those long takes, you sort of forget that they are one takes because you're so invested in what's happening. And um, while I kind of blame myself for being interested in you know how they accomplish such a technical feat, I was distracted by it. I will say that that's like, how we watch movies now. That's our like, that's just, we can't escape that. We've talked about I, it before. I, I saw it with a couple other people who aren't quite as, as into movies with us, and they were doing the same thing. I mean, I, and I will say that you know I, I, I an experience like The Revenant, which a movie that I probably appreciate more for its technical prowess and for what it was doing with the camera specifically in that movie then I am you know into the emotional journey of Leonardo DiCaprio's character though I am, though it is I think a little I think it is more meaningful and emotional than than this film I I think that 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 the revenant did things with the camera that this film just doesn't do and and I don't know um I don't know if well, that can, sorry go ahead well does that get back to like I don't know I I feel like I'd have to see this again to really evaluate it, but sure. I credited the choreography and the set decoration and set design for making the camera work seem simple. There weren't like overly complicated shots in this. There yeah, was there a were. Of... when they were in that village and he was running and it was yeah, like crazy daybreak and yes, like but... that was in that was, that was insanity. Yeah, but we're not talking about that like the car scene in Children of Men, like. Like, I don't know. You know are we not? Like, I think that's pretty. I mean, it's 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 getting close to there. That wasn't, that wasn't anything we haven't seen before. I don't know. We, I we, mean, we saw that. We saw that in in uh, True Detective. I mean, that like, it's it's been done before, and that's not just like, that doesn't mean it's not well done. It just means that it's not in. It's not. It's not new. And that's fine. I mean, but does like, everything I, have to be new? No, like, I'm, and this is not. I'm not. I'm not criticizing the movie for that. I think this movie was beautifully shot. I I love Roger Deakins' silhouette shots with fires behind it. Like the, his movies are beautiful. He has he filmed my favorite shot in movie history in the last uh, the the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Um, so I'm not criticizing the cinematography. I'm making the argument that it wasn't overly complicated 
and I think I, I don't have, have to a, define complicated. I, because I, I, I know what you're saying. I think what he's saying. Look, I, I I would recommend that everybody, after they watch this podcast, there's this great YouTube account called Every Frame of Painting. I think I've used them. I've talked to them about the yeah. I've seen before. all their stuff. Yeah, he hasn't done anything new. Lately. They have done for for a long time. But there's a there's a video they have called the Spielberg Warner, and you should we should you should watch that for a reference. But the way Spielberg is able to like, there's there's so much chore- choreography and movement of camera, and movement of people. You can do things like go from a wide shot to a close up of one character to a close up of another character with the camera staying as- as- essentially stationary. But with 1917, you're I mean there are close ups. I should say that, but for the most part, we're just like following either both the characters or one of the characters the whole time, and whether that's in front of them or behind them. It, it, they they aren't they either aren't able or they decided not to like you know have a close up or essentially what 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 Spielberg does in these shots is he's editing in camera he's editing within a shot and he's able to give you the close up the wide the medium the 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 pauses the impact of those different types of shots just without cutting through choreography and camera movement and in this film it's like you're so aware of how long the camera's been running that and 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 they want they capture these wide vistas and these the, the camera very rarely goes into sh- like do exactly that. There's there's no editing in camera. I think there's some. I, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I do think there's some. Um, and did you guys not feel any sort of suspense watching this movie? Like not as much any... as I I expected I would. So two p two things. One, I think there is an element of suspense when you are staying on the characters, when you're doing this one shot, when you can't see what's over on the other side of the bunker. And the scene I'll use as an example is the first one, when they when they go over the bunker at the beginning. And I don't know, I, I, I need you guys to help me out here just as much as I need you to explain to me why I wasn't connecting with these characters. And maybe we've answered that when you're, the you know, we're not getting the edits we need to see their emotions as well as we can but why why was i not feeling any suspense about them going over the bunker into no man's land on that very first scene when the movie was setting it up that way all the actors around them were saying don't go up there you're going to get shot because it would have been a short movie is that so i but then why why even bother trying to create the suspense you also know that at least for because of your awareness of the film you also know that that at least that the shot you're watching will continue for at least another half an hour uninterrupted or at least you know seemingly uninterrupted in other words like you know that they're not that it's not going to end that the journey is not going to end for those two characters there not only because it's the beginning of the movie but because you know the momentum of the shot isn't just going to leave these two dead on the battlefield there's no tension but that's because sure, it was to, early on, like this. Sure. But then when to this Jeremy's movie, question, like the suspense, there were moments where that was suspenseful because you couldn't see around the corner because where the because we knew the camera was staying where it was. But there were other times for that it, in that same scenario, I didn't feel the suspense, and I I wonder why. See, I didn't know that uh, what's his name Tomlin was going to die. Like that no, was I a didn't surprise either. to me. I didn't like, either. <laughs> Tomlin. Um, Mike, Mike Tomlin, the Steelers coach. What's his name? What's Thomas? Tomlin. Tomlin, yes. Yeah. Well, or, or in this movie, Blake. Blake. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I didn't know either. he was gonna die. So did. that worked. That worked for me. And then once he died, I was like, I don't, like once we got past and you know an hour and fifteen minutes, I wasn't hundred percent sure he was gonna be able to do this mission. Well, like, I wouldn't I liked, have been surprised if they killed him and just well, left him to die. Yeah, and I really liked. So the one cut they have in the movie is um, after he falls down some stairs and gets knocked out, um, and they cut to black for pretty significant amount of time all things considered and then he wakes up and it's nighttime and this was how they bridged the gap because this is basically they said it was like a yep. nine hour uh, walk or nine hour journey to get to this place where they need to deliver the message we're obviously not watching a nine hour movie so they kind of bridge that gap there and it's nighttime but we don't know how much time has gone by and neither does he he doesn't know if he's too late he doesn't know if he's been out cold for two days and right. I think that was effective. I mean, I think it that kind of invested you a little bit in that character then and showed you that he's still going to do everything he can to complete his mission, even though he doesn't know if it's going to make any difference. And that's part of the reason. One of my favorite scenes of the movie was when he uh, ended up in that basement with the woman that had the baby. And, you know, he spends a little bit of time down there, and he happens to have some milk with him that he got from a farm from cows earlier that he's able to give to the baby. And it's just kind of this nice little quick poignant scene. And then he has to leave. He says he has to leave and she doesn't want him to go anywhere. And I think he wants to stay. I, as an audience member wanted him to stay and you knew that he couldn't. And I think that stuff was effective. And how, how the Germans hadn't found her blows my mind, but yeah, well, they lost the war. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't seem to find anything, but uh, that whole sequence, I think, in that village, and this goes back to your point, Lee, of the set decoration and the de- set design. I mean, they had to have built most of that. I mean, you're not just going to find a, a wrecked World War One city um, somewhere. Yeah, uh, they, they built that, that whole thing. That's That blows my mind. That's a huge build. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, we're going back to the technical prowess of it. And like I said, I agree with you guys that it was missing something impactful. But during that movie and during watching it, I, I really fell for it. And I fell for this journey in these characters. Um, and when you do fall for it and you go on this sort of sweeping adventure, it's pretty magical. I mean, sure. look, I liked this movie. I, I maybe even really liked it. I just I hadn't. I had the issue with a pretty significant portion of it, but to me, I told you, the star of this movie was the set design and choreography and cinematography, and that was, I expected that to be the star. It was the star, and so be it. I mean, I can enjoy that for what it was. Now, whether or not it was a complete movie is another question. It doesn't mean I didn't like it. Yeah. Uh, I... I think that's a good way to put it. Um, I, I, and I, I think that a lot should be acknowledged. I mean, I think that the technical prowess should be acknowledged. And I think that what they did is incredible. And I don't think um, what I'm saying takes anything away. From, well, I guess it does a little bit. But um, I admire what they did. And I agree with you that, I mean, I think that this is this is a uh, an effective technique. We've talked about that. We talked about how in our list of top, uh, what was the, why did we end up doing that top five? Uh, I think best it was on the Roma taste. podcast. Oh right, um, and as we said, like those can be so effective, and the uh, this idea is really effective, and it's been done before, as you've mentioned. 
Um, but, um, yeah, and I think this might get us into talking about Mendez a little bit. I, I he, I'd like to, yeah. He's a director that I just think, like, doesn't quite have a set style. And I think it comes down a little bit to the, the films he's decided to make. And I think that that's fine. Um, he's made the, you know, he makes... Um, uh, American Beauty first, which we've talked extensively about, and that film has got some, you know, quite sort of rigid styling in, in a nice way, I think. Um, and then his next movie is this sort of old-timey 30s gangster movie, which, you know, of course, that the style for um, uh, American Beauty won't work there. And then the next film is, um, I think, uh, Jarhead, right? which had a yeah. totally different style. And so there's, you know, he's kind of a chameleon when it comes to style. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think that that is an effective way to to direct, I suppose, but I think it kind of makes him inherently less interesting as a director. And to me, it makes it hard to be like a Sam Mendes fan. You know, that's not to say that he's not a great director. I think he's made some really good films. I think Skyfall is brilliant. But um, uh, I and I even actually I think I like Jarhead more than any person I've ever spoken to. But um He's not someone, you know, like, how do you say you're a fan of Sam Mendes? He's made all these different types of movies, you know? Yeah, he's a director that oddly, and I've seen a lot of his movies. In fact, I I actually may, I think I've actually seen all of his movies. Um, But I knew him from American Beauty, his debut movie that wins all these awards, and then follows it up with Road to Perdition, which I think was maybe a disappointment for a lot of people. I, that's certainly a movie I'd have to see again. I'm sure I haven't seen it since the theater. Um, and Jarhead, and then Away We Go, which was a piece of junk. Um, Revolutionary Road, the Bond movies, and now 1917. He feels like a director to me that, you know, he made American Beauty, and then I blinked, and all of a sudden he's got, you know, eight movies that, for the most part, I think are pretty well-respected. And I just feel like I sort of have missed the boat on him. Now, whether, you know, I think I agree with you that I think he's sort of a hit or miss director. I think he's like a B, you know, as far as what I would, how I would grade him as with his movies as a whole. So when I look at a movie like Birdman, you know, that does this, or a movie like Rope that does this, you know, I'm arguably talking about some of the best directors of their generations. Mm hmm. And I don't think Mendez is there. I mean, I think he's far below that. Here's my argument is I think Mendez is a very, very good director, but I think he's not an auteur. And I think, like, the definition of an auteur is made so that we don't confuse directors like Sam Mendez as being auteurs. Because he can make individually really good movies. Like, I think this is a really good movie. I think American Beauty is a really good mu- movie. Um, and he's made other, you know, decent films. Yeah. So but he's a good director, dire- but he's not... Anybody could have directed him. No, it's not that anybody can could have directed him. He just is okay with switching up his style for yeah, but the I individual think... movie, whereas a, a, a auteur really sort of has their own characteristics that you can recognize in all their films. Sure. Yeah. So I think that's where he he lacks getting on that list of great directors, um, minus also you know not having several great films under his belt. But he's a very good director, and I think 
Um, did he do? Um, oh my God, Revolutionary Road. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, he's done really good. Again, movies. another style. In another style, yeah, he's done really good movies that have, you know, he he hires these great actors, cinematographers. He has this great crew. I mean, he does really good work. But yeah, it would be hard pressed for anybody really to put him on that great I mean, director's list wouldn't yet. You, wouldn't you say that like a a director that does this though, that like dabbles in all these different types of genres and has to you know, adapt his style accordingly is a good thing. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about that idea. That's an argument to be made. Like Ryan Johnson has been doing a little bit of that, um, for better or worse. I mean, I, I, you know, I think it's certainly interesting. Um, what would you guys say is your favorite movie of his? I think American beauty would probably be me. It might be Skyfall for me. Yeah. I rewatched that recently. Um, it's really good, and I'm, I mean, for me, Bond movies all blend together. So, I mean, who knows? In a year, I might not remember which one it was. But, um, okay, well, um, uh, can I can I just give an, make another point quickly? I I just think um, one thing I'm I I, I wanted to point out um, with with a movie like Uncut Gems, like let's take these relatively inexperienced younger directors and compare them to someone like. Mendes, and if you guys agree with me, or at least I guess it'd have to be Lee. If you agree with me that they're kind of after the same emotional experience with these two movies, you know, I think the Safety brothers break rules. Uh, I put that in quotation marks in a different way than than Mendes breaks rules. I mean, you know, you're supposed to cut, you're supposed to edit. We know this, and in right. the same way, like um, the Safety brothers, like they film almost everything in extreme close-ups, right? Like it's like, you know, and you've heard about how they're seen there. It's, it's a common understanding in, in film education. Like if you use too many close-ups, you lose the power of a close-up, but that doesn't, they don't care about that. Um, and I think that they're rule breakers in a way that is powerful and kind of, um, impactful. Whereas we just got done. I know you don't agree, Jeremy, but I think for us, Lee, the, the rule breaking that the risks that, um, Mendes took in this film, you know, didn't maybe didn't work, you know, for the entire movie for us. And we admire them. And I appreciate the technical prowess it takes to achieve them. But they they got in the way of the storytelling instead of aiding it. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I I had actually a I had a similar issue with Uncut Gems, if you remember, like mm-hmm. you know, the the energy and the chaotic nature of that movie made me at times feel a little uncomfortable and as a result kind of wanted to leave the theater as opposed to just embracing it and marveling at it you know as a as a you know sort of amazing piece of work which like I said I sort of came to appreciate more as, as I got away from it but it's a risk for sure I, I talked about the safties being risk takers and it's interesting because I don't I really never thought of Mendez as a risk taker um, in that way. And I wouldn't have even thought about this as being a risk because you got Roger Deakins <laughs> and like, you know, was this a risk or was this just, Hey, we can do this. So we're going to, we got a hundred million dollars. Let's do it. Right. We have a hundred million dollars in Roger Deakins. We're going to do it. And, and I would do the same thing. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, it, yeah, it's an interesting discussion. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I feel like we all kind of. I, I think ultimately we agree on what it is, but we fall on different spectrums of how much we enjoyed it. Yeah, I think so. Um, but this is nominated for a number of Oscars. So if um, we want to get into the Oscar nominations that came out yesterday, what are I, those? I've never heard. Uh, of yeah. Them. Well, I do want to just say this is this, this is relatively big news, and I, I guess it hasn't been totally confirmed yet, but. The Oscars is, is is no longer the culmination of the of the movie year, is that what I'm hearing? Then that the fixies are actually going to be that now, which I guess a lot of people have been asking for for a long time. Well, I, I know people from the Oscars are are going to listen to this podcast to th- see what we think about the Oscars. Yeah, but we're we're too late this year though, for it to have uh, any impact on the Oscars. But who cares? Well, we well, don't care. The- they don't care. They want to know. They just want to know how they did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, you know, the Fixies, normally we we'd like to release it before the Oscars. I mean, it, and really it's because the Oscars are televised and we're not televised, but that's, you know, that's a choice. Um, we could. I mean, I did dress up last year. That's true. Yeah, but Lee was but, naked, um, and so we, that would have to censor that part of it. I guess yeah. we could stream it on YouPorn <laughs> uh, that's a very That's a very small censor. It's fine. We can yeah. afford that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's under the table. It's under the desk. Um well, the only reason I bring that up is because we do want to talk about the Oscar nominations just because, you know, it's obviously relevant and we've talked about a lot of the movies and performances that are um, that are going to be talked about with that. Um, but we do want to be careful to about revealing our, our thoughts on any of these things, really just among each other, if, if not our audience, because um, as you all know, the Fixies... Fixie Award Show is as much a surprise for us as it is for everybody. It's really else. the only reason we do it, and we make up a, a significant percentage of the listening audience. So, I mean, I think the big. I mean, we we texted a few things. I mean, Uncut Gems was shut out, which I think a lot of people are surprised by. Um, Joker has the most nominations. Uh, f- uh, that's just that just shows you how. But you liked well, the you Joker. liked Joker, yeah. Jeremy. I, I did, but I can't take that. Uh, Todd Phillips got best director nomination that really it, that annoys me and I don't think it should be like the most nominated movie of the year yeah that's a bit shameful I mean even if you did like this movie I mean that's I don't know maybe like I could uh, I, and I didn't I could love underst- the Joker I was just the highest on it of all of us I could understand I, I, I wasn't surprised that it was nominated for best picture best director and best actor but that's three I mean Come on. Beyond that, I mean, we're... I don't even know what else it got nominated for. Production design? Sa- no. I got, uh, best cinematography? Costume design. Costume. Oh, he painted his face. Best cinematography? Cinematography. Best score. Makeup and hairstyle. I like the cinematography and the score. I mean, it has, I, I did not like the movie at all, so they won't be on my fixie list, but, I mean, they were okay. I like the score a lot. The woman who wrote the score for that did the Chernobyl score. Brilliant. So at least she'll get nom- awarded for something. Well, not sound, a fixie because it's TV. Sound editing. So Chapin, we talked about the sound editing in Uncut Gems. We did. Which was amazing. Yeah, not and nominated. Not nominated. Um, was also nominated for sound. All right, sound mixing, sound editing. Nobody in the world knows the difference between the two. Um, well. Would Chernobyl like sweep the fixies if it was? <laughs> I was, <laughs> was thinking about that. I was like, well. if we involved TV shows, I was wondering if that would happen. Um, I mean, I'm glad Joe Pesci 
got nominated. I know you guys not as much, but I uh, I really liked his performance. I did too. Irish I did too. I'm really glad. I did too. And and Pacino did too, but no De Niro. No De Niro. Yeah, no De Niro. Which I think is interesting. Um, although not again, not to reveal too much about the Fixies, I do think that the best actor race is one of the most competitive this year. Um, yep. So to see somebody left out of that category. Now here's a question: Pain and Glory is that that streaming anywhere? Uh, you'll be able. You can buy it now. Yeah. Uh, we'll throw that on the. <laughs> It's on the list already. Let me check. Let me check my notes. This is this okay. is for off the podcast. Stop clicking your computer. Let's focus. Yeah. Um, yeah good point. I, I'm realizing as we're as we're having this conversation, like I'm realizing this is this is a boring this is boring to our listeners because we're not revealing any of our opinions on it, and all they're interested in is our fixie opinion. So. Um, oh, well, okay. Look, let's, let's talk We're about having this. a hard time getting up for these podcasts when they're not the fixies these days, anyway. So we all liked Parasite, so and we all know that that's probably going to play a significant part in our fixies. And it, and it it was I think it was a surprise that it got so many nominations, even a best it picture nomination. Yeah, I did. That didn't surprise me. Really, I didn't. I thought, yeah, I thought it didn't that, surprise me either. I thought that was always going to. That was not necessarily. Oh, and also our bet, Lee. I I bet that uh, that once yeah, upon that, a time in Mexico or what's it called? Once upon a time in. <laughs> Hollywood would not be nominated, and you think it's going to win? So yeah, so I am still in the running for you the twenty thousand dollars. You didn't think it would be nominated for Best Picture? I didn't. So I mean, wow. so shows how wrong I was. So yeah, um, so I, I still have a chance to win big money from Chapin. Um, Any other bets you want to make, Chapin? <laughs> yeah, let's make some more bets. I don't think so. Um, okay. Scarlett Johansson. Oh, oh, oh yeah. So we have not seen Jojo Rabbit yet. All the word on the street is she's good in that, but all the word on the street is she's good in Marriage Story, which is just wrong. So I don't understand. I, there's a lot of talk that she's going to win, if not for this like moronic Renee Zellweger nomination that <laughs> is also in play. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not either. I actually think that it's it's between Renee Zellweger and Scarlett Johansson for Best Actress at the Oscars. Neither of whom are deserving. Um, and you haven't, I haven't even seen, seen Judy. Yet. I haven't seen Judy, <laughs> I'm sh- and I'm sure she's not deserving. I haven't seen Harriet yet either. I may try to test that out, but I have seen Bombshell and Little Women um, with Charlie Theron and Saoirse Ronan. Right. Um, but yeah, we live we live in a world now where Joker is has the most Oscar nominations, and Scarlett Johansson joins the ranks of very few people who've been nominated for two Oscars in the same year. Why do you why do you think Joker had such critical acclaim for this? Like I, I mean I get it like, but it didn't that. have critical acclaim. It had horrible it, it got like a 58 meta score. Okay, so why is it doing so well for the Oscars? Is it just because it did so well at the box office and they want to represent it? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean my my thoughts is all, have always been that like look, it's it's a uh, it's a unconventional comic book mo- take on a comic book movie, which has been criticized both for, you know, how prevalent they are and how much attention they are taking up in Hollywood, but also the Academy has been criticized for not recognizing them, right? I mean, Black Panther was a big deal last year because it was the first of those movies to be nominated for Best Picture. And now, you know, this movie comes along that's ostensibly like a, a, a sort of, you know, thoughtful take on a. Uh, on a comic book film and it's a huge 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 hit 
Um, and it's made, it's made well. And I mean that in the sense that it's, um, it's made thoughtfully. I mean, I think the thoughts right. for, of it are completely Whereas, like, wrong. Whereas like Black Panther, Black Panther was made pretty much this, in the same Correct. Vein as all Commercially. The other I mean, it's, it's got yeah. more, it's got, I think more interesting ideas, but it's not yeah, sort it's of as clearly thing, like yeah. a, 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 a movie that's interested in ideas. I mean, it sounds like I'm defending Joker. I can't believe it, but you know, like I, I, I to me, that's the thinking of the people in the Academy. And I think that there's, I this, think you're right. There's a sense that, you know, I I always struggle with this. I mean, again, this year there's a Oscar So White. There's no women nominated for Best Director. Um, there's not a lot of diversity. Um, I mean, yeah, the, 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 um, the Cynthia Erivo nomination feels like it's a quota fill. Sure. I mean, like, and, I, again, I haven't seen it, but it's so painfully obvious. <laughs> but look, like, I struggle with that because, I mean, look, I, the Academy, I'm sure, has its problems. Um, and they release some statistics about who makes up the Academy, and it's overwhelmingly white, it's overwhelmingly men. Um, and they're, I think they tend to be quite old, on the older side. Um, not that that necessarily means anything, but I, I guess my point. Yeah, but it does, though. Sure, I guess. But I guess my point is this: is like I, I find it hard to. I think unfairly, the Academy often gets blamed for things in Hollywood just because it's the last award show and most important award show. Whereas it's a reflection of the problems of Hollywood. It's not responsible for them necessarily. I mean, sure, there were. Pl- I think there was a couple of movies which might, in fact, make the fixies that were directed by women that should have been recognized. But I don't know how you, without being unfair to the process, change the thinking of a of a body of people. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody's still got to vote, and you and they're not going to vote because they think this or that. I mean, what what really needs to change, I think, is the way that. The, the type of films and who's who who is given the money to make films and yes that's the answer because look like they I I'll be honest I'm I, I don't have I haven't assembled my my fixie list yet but I have a number of movies listed and I'm looking through it I I feel like it is probably not as diverse as I'd like it to be in terms of race in terms of men and women and and look like that's just a representation of the movies I saw this year so you you can make the argument that like you can't just nominate a, a a black man or a black woman in a category because you need to make sure it's diverse they need this is supposed to represent the best of the year and so the you know the the issue is how much are those people represented in movies in general but the flip side of that is the the, the oscars the academy awards and the academies over compensation of their mistakes it's like a pendulum every year it's back and forth and like black panther and joker and the in comic book movies in general is the simplest least offensive example of that the dark knight didn't get nominated for best picture when a lot of people thought it should so they're like shit we got to nominate comic book movies so black panther got nominated and won like 10 oscars last year whatever the hell it was and now joker gets nominated and it's just an example of them looking at the mistakes that they've been told that they're making and overcompensating it with the wrong choices and like fixing it with the wrong choices. Right, they're fixing the they're fixing the past and not the future. Right. They're not and instead of the 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 solution and and Chapin makes a good point. Like they're getting blamed for the the things that are, you know, the the fact that, you know, women aren't given enough movies to direct and that um, black people aren't cast in enough movies. So they're not represented as prominently 
as white people are and as men are. So it's harder to nominate them when you have to narrow these nominations down to five people out of hundreds of movies made and many that are really good. You know, that's not the Academy's fault, but... I mean, they the have, they, time, they've got a lot of work to do. I, I, I think for sure. I'm not taking them off the hook. I um, mean, you guys, but we're going to talk about little women. You both have seen it. I mean, is do you guys, and I don't want you guys to give too much away, but I mean, is yeah, no, she should have been nominated over Todd Phillips. That's what it, like, that was going to be my point is like, yes, they should do a better job, but they're also out there. There are, there are deserving people that are getting snubbed at the same time. Um, so it's not that there's they're totally just uh, boxing out uh, certain minorities and women. It's, I mean, this is an example where she should have been nominated and and didn't get the nomination. Right. Well, now, Joker did also. Joke. A lot more people saw Joker. So, and that includes a lot more people that vote. I mean. Like yeah. I, I always picture the Academy as just That's these true. old white fuddy duddies sitting in an office, but they're people that know movies and they're people that watch movies. But they're but, also people that don't necessarily get out to the theater. They sometimes get screeners. They sometimes watch well, they them. But they're like regular people yeah, too. The, and yes, and look, Joker. I, I have to be a hundred percent honest. Like, if if I, all things being equal, or or if I knew nothing about it, if you put a screener of Joker in front of me and a, and a screener of Little Women in front of me, like just and you hadn't seen either at that hadn't point, seen and it either, was, you had like, to vote. Just, which one would I pick to watch? I mean, Joker appeals to me. That subject matter appeals to me a hell of a lot more than Little Women. Yeah, but <laughs> what about the directors? Well, no, that but that's another piece, of course. But at the beginning of the year, I I don't know I. I was excited to see Little Women because, but really more for the cast, cast than the directors. But I think most people, including a large portion of the Academy, found if you had the two screeners of Joker and Little Women, they would watch Joker first and then maybe run out of time and have to make their votes. Sure, I mean, but Little, Little Women, Women did come out late too. More of an awards appeal. Just to put one more point on it, I, I. I am really. You mentioned expand the, that the Academy expanded to up to ten Best Picture nominations after the Dark Knight fiasco. Um, I and mean, I think, in principle, I, I like that. Um, it it does have the effect of including more films in the conversation, which is fantastic. Um, but I do feel like one thing that happens is it takes away some of the power of being nominated. Um, you know it doesn't really have the same um, significance. Like for some reason, I always think back to, I, for some reason I remember that shock a lot was, was, was nominated for best picture whenever that stupid movie came out. And like, that's significant because it was one of 2000. five. Yeah. The year we're going to talk about. Yeah. It, it was one of five. And, and so um, what I want to ask you guys now with the little amount of time we have remaining, you know, Joker could very well, it doesn't seem like it will because, it, it sounds. It seems like um, Joaquin Phoenix is the favorite to win Best Actor, but it's possible that the, the the Joker could leave with no wins, and that's happened many times before, where a film is nominated but then it doesn't win anything. And and I'm, I wonder if you guys think that you know does that mean does that mean anything to you? Does that have any significance? I mean, does that say if if the Academy because you know the, the the way that the people vote and the way that things the, the way they come to these nominations and then the way they vote are different. Like I think you know the whole body. Uh, I think maybe 
the the trades people each people are there's some way, different way that they do it um well the the best picture is done differently than everything else which is weird right the best picture when or sorry that's not correct the the they're all done the same but it's it's done preferential balloting we talked about it last year where basically you have to to win to get nominated you just have to get a certain percentage of the votes to win, you have to get a certain percentage of the number one vote. Right. So I guess, and until something has it, if something whatever's last gets knocked off the list, so Ford versus Ferrari is going to get knocked off first because it's going to have the fewest number one picks, and then anybody who had that at number one, their number two now moves to number one. Right. So Ford versus Ferrari could be like the most top five, but it won't be you know the most number one, so it'll get knocked off. Yes, so until you have 50% or whatever the percentage, I think it's 50% of the number one vote, that's when you are. That's when a, a winner is determined. So that benefits movies that most people have seen. So Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, Marriage Story and The Irishman, just kind of looking at, you know, just because those are Netflix movies, probably have your best chance. Um, of winning because maybe you know even if people saw let's say people saw Parasite and loved it and put it at their number one not enough people saw it so that person's number two is Joker just like the you know thousands of other people so that preferential balloting doesn't award the best movie and best performance it awards oftentimes the most popular one okay well, I guess what I mean, and I, I'm glad you you clarified that. Yeah. Do you th- do we, does it lose significance nominated in a category? Right, because like think of, think think and about yes, but think about does. this. Argo won Best Picture, and Ben Affleck was not even nominated for director. So, yes. So like, let's say you know you we we talked about Greta Gerwig was snubbed. She wasn't nominated here. But what if Little Women wins Best Picture? I guess the, my point is like, what's the significance of of walking away with no wins? And well. But being nominated, my my response to that is twofold because I I do think that there's a there's a certain element of where you're right that it loses you lose significance the nomination loses significance when there's more than five because if you look at some categories in certain years when there are only five and you look at them and you say any one of these people could win I mean even best actor I mean I I think there's some you know leading candidates but. Best actor nominees, nominees are Adam Driver from Marriage Story, Antonio Banderas from Pain and Glory, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, Jonathan Price for Two Popes, and Leo from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You can make the argument for any of them, probably. And that could be a five-way race. And that's exciting, and that's significant, and that means whoever wins probably barely wins, and all the other guys deserved it just as much. Now, you can't say that about the Best Picture nominees, you can't say that Ford versus Ferrari is on the same level as Parasite or The Irishman or whatever. But you can look at it as a representation of the year as a whole and say this was a quality year and there were a lot of movies that were worth putting in this category as best pictures of the year. Now, that'll yeah, ne- I'd- the Oscars will never do it that way because last year there were 9-2 and last year wasn't great. And probably 2011... Was there? Did they? Did they go up to ten in two thousand eleven? The shittiest year of the decade, because there were probably a bunch that year too. Look, I don't have a problem with the number of. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't go past ten, but I don't really have a problem with the number of Best Picture nominees because 
end of the day, when you look back on it, you it's kind of just like, did it get nominated for Best Picture or did it not? You don't think, oh, there was five that year. Right. Oh, there was only eight that year. There's seven that, like, it, it doesn't really matter, to be honest. Um, it's just, it's just sort of a, I like what you said about sort of a, a snapshot of the year um, of what it, you know what it represents and if it was nominated for best picture sure it can put it on its dvd or blu-ray cover that nobody buys you know like (laughs) it doesn't it's not a big deal i don't think the number of films to me at least matters so 2011 had had nine nominations also and that was not a good year do you guys want to oh my god do you guys want to hear what was that year So the artist yeah. won Best Picture, oh, which I think is a good movie. Well, you're the only one. Okay. No, I like the artist. Extremely loud and incredibly close. Don't know. Hugo, Midnight in Paris, Moneyball. That's probably the best movie on this list. The Descendants. I like, Mon- I like Midnight in Paris actually a lot. Me too. The Descendants, The Help, The Tree of Life, and War Horse. Yeah. Well, um, there's some good ones on there. Moneyball, Tree of Life. You know what? There are there's there is one, two, three, four. For me, uh, one, two, th- I count four. I count four movies, five movies. I'll give it five. They, they could have had five nominees that year. My, and they can have five to ten, but they will never, ever, ever do five. That will never happen. My point about this whole thing is that a movie like Joker can be, I mean, look, if, if Joker got a lot of technical nominations and did not get nominated for Best Picture, like what may have happened in the old five movie system, although he was re- nominated for Best Director, so... One one would think that he probably would have gotten a Best Picture nomination. My my point is is that having nine nominations it just opens the field up to a lot of people, and a, and a movie could sneak by and not get a lot. Of, like I don't think Black Panther. I mean, it's nice that those people got um, uh, who won a bunch of awards last year, especially because they were people of color. But you know, so what for the movie? Like I don't think Marvel gives a shit. Like that that movie made a ton of money and it didn't win Best Picture. So. Like at the end of the day, what's the difference? You know, it's nice to award good work, but it doesn't really have a reflection on the movie over, overall. Um, and the same could happen with Joker. Like, I guess Joaquin Phoenix could leave with Best Actor, which would mean something. But I don't know. Just my point is that getting nominated for Best Picture doesn't mean as much as it did t- t- 20 years ago. I agree. And I, I think it, it, this rare, I don't know if this happened at all this year, but. I mean, if you get nominated for Best Picture and, like, barely anything else, you know, what does that really say about your movie? Um, I mean, how many nominations does Ford versus Ferrari have? Uh, three, maybe? Like, that's the blow-off one in my, to me, right? Yeah, it should, it should have more, though. It, no, it was nominated for four Oscars. Um, nominated for Picture, Editing, Sound Mixing, and Sound Editing. I mean, it should have... Maybe what it should have been considered for some performance uh nominations but um all right anyway there's our gripe about the oscars i guess i mean we probably lost all our listeners there because they're really only interested in the fixies all right i think that's probably gonna wrap her up all right that's gonna do it for this awesome edition of the get your film fix podcast we are actually gonna be back next week with little women right guys I'm the yes, only one who hasn't seen it, so I'm seeing it tomorrow, um, and then Sexist. we'll be... Right, yeah, well, um, you guys had to convince me. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, 
I'm excited for it. Florence Pugh kind of fell in love with her this year. Um, excited for that. And um, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And uh, you know what I did, guys? I went back and I actually forgot the format of the Fixies. And so I went back and I listened to it. And then I just got caught up in that and listened to the whole thing. So everybody should go back and do that. Listen to last year's Fixies. Last yeah. year's Fixies. Brilliant. Both parts. You think? You, you, here's, another, here's a question for you guys. Do you think we can get the fixies down to two episodes three parts but three yes. but three but only three hours this time uh, uh, 90 minutes each part i i've been i've been brainstorming how we can you know streamline it a little bit without losing the content you know because i think the conversations while long are good in the fixie yeah episodes. and i think people like um, long podcasts but i don't i could be wrong I think so too. I, That's I why actually listen do. to podcasts. No one wants a short one. They got a they, their commute. Yeah, um, I do. I did want to say this before we let everybody go that I I would love it, love it, love it. I think we would all love it if you either emailed us or even better recorded your your fixie nominations, your your best of the years in any category, um, especially if it's movies you think that we need to see between now and the fixies. I mean, we definitely have a list. Yeah, that's you got intimidating all of us, but. Um, I, we want to hear your best of the year, and if you send us a a voice recording, we'll play it on the podcast. Um, you know, we're we're running out of movies to see in the theater. There's a lot of streaming movies left to see, um, which don't necessarily always make good you know podcasts just on those themselves. So we may need a podcast where we can just kind of do a fixies pre-show or something where we hear all our listener. Um, Wouldn't that be amazing? That'd be amazing if we could if we could play. A bunch of uh, pl- play a bunch of listeners' thoughts on their best of the year and read some emails and talk about uh, what all of you guys thought were the best movies of the year before we get to the fixies. So please, please, please do that. That would be amazing. That would be extraordinary. That would be the most extraordinary episode of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really keep up in the ante every time. Shane. Yeah, well, le- yeah. So don't don't let me down, listeners. Send your shit in. Feedback. Send your fucking, send your fucking shit in. You Feedback assholes. at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. The link's in the information below. Thanks. Love you. Bye. I'm staying. Finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.